Welcome to Two Open Doors, the podcast that explores our power to open or close the doors of relationship with the important people in our lives. We hope you'll learn from and share your wisdom with our community. Thanks for joining us. Commitments can come with a downside. They can be difficult and often painful to change. That's certainly true of some socially recognized and sanctioned commitments, such as marriage or a mortgage. In our society, those are treated as contracts or mutually agreed promises that can't be violated without a price being paid. In this episode, we'll consider an alternative form of commitment, a renewable relationship, which can offer the affirmation of a contractual relationship while maintaining a focus on the importance of unforced individual choice. Why is it that close relationships and other things that may warrant our commitments are treated as serious matters by society? That's probably due to the reality that such relationships have tremendous value to us. As such, we want to protect and preserve them. In the case of traditional marriages, society also wants to preserve them. Stable families are the bedrock for stable societies. Since marriage has traditionally been seen as the only legitimate path to recognition for a committed long-term relationship, at least in Western societies, marriage has been given forms of formal legal protection that other forms of relationship don't receive. As humans, each of us is autonomous, though not independent, and that autonomy commands respect. We need to be able to make free choices and then assume responsibility for owning the consequences of those choices. In establishing a relationship, we're choosing to connect with another in meaningful ways. Relationships don't work if the partners don't respect one another's identities and one another's choices. Commitments are offers of connection, time, or other resources that we make after deciding to invest ourselves in another person or thing. In making a commitment, we create expectations on the part of the recipient of that commitment regarding how we will behave. It's important to note that bona fide commitments aren't coerced. We freely choose to make them. Why is commitment important? Isn't it better to keep one's options fully open rather than taking on restrictions even voluntarily? I believe that different people can have different perceptions of commitment. For some, commitment of any sort may indeed seem like an undesirable taking on of restrictions. Such people may place a top premium on their unfettered independence. For others, commitment may seem like a natural and expected step in the evolution of a deep relationship. That's certainly the case for those who accept the relationship escalator model of how relationships evolve. In between these positions, there's a middle ground in which commitment is indeed seen to somewhat reduce full freedom of choice, while also serving as an enabler for the mutual deepening of a connection. That's my own viewpoint. From that perspective, mutual commitment reflects a decision to move closer to one's partner in order to get to know one another and share with one another even more deeply. As we've noted in prior episodes, we finite humans have only so much time, energy, and emotional capacity to go around. Thus, if we invest more of those in any one direction, we have less available for other relationships. Love may indeed grow infinitely, but our ability to express our love remains finite. That reality suggests that we should be thoughtful, deliberate, and realistic in whatever commitments we make. One of the challenges of a long-term, deep relationship is in keeping it fresh in terms of ongoing novelty, excitement, desire, and interest. 
Typically, with growing familiarity, comes a decrease in the amount of mystery, surprise, and previously unexperienced pleasure that the relationship offers. Neurobiologically, there is a predictable transition from attraction and arousal toward bonding between partners. That's why many or most long-term intimate relationships transition from a stage of exciting new relationship energy into a stage of deepening connection through mutual exploration and then into a phase of companionate relationship in which the partners feel very loving toward and connected with one another, but with reduced passionate ardor. The fire that partners share early in an intimate relationship is definitely enticing and meaningful. Mutual desire is a lovely thing. For some, it's their major incentive for wanting to be in intimate relationships. Desire can be so emotionally compelling that it overshadows long-term security or companionship or other motivations for being in relationship. Most people want to feel wanted by a partner. Even in relationships that are companionate, maintaining a spark of desire adds life, interest, and attraction to the relationship. It serves as glue that promotes partner's desire to remain in relationship. As we know, relationships evolve as do people. Especially in deeply connected relationships, the partners have ongoing opportunities to grow and discover new things about themselves. Being in such fertile soil for personal growth is perhaps one of the major benefits of being in intimate relationships. Change offers opportunities for people to reevaluate what they want from life and from their partners. That reevaluation process presents us with new choices to consider. How do the partners in a relationship stay in alignment throughout a potentially long period of shared life? It's probably unwise to assume that things are perennially hunky-dory and that it's just fine to coast from year to year while maintaining the same patterns of life. As one possible example of that sort of laissez-faire approach to partnered life, a couple might rarely vary their style of lovemaking. After all, those old and established patterns have worked so well in the past, why shouldn't they keep being effective indefinitely? For better or for worse, we humans can get bored, even by something that is or was good. We desire at least some degree of variety and novelty. The same old loses its luster. Experimentation is healthy. In the course of trying out new things, some will find favor while others will prove to be a bad fit. Throughout this trying out process, the members of a couple need to stay in sync regarding what they enjoy and what changes they want to make in their shared life. Being clear and honest with one another is important to ongoing mutual contentment. Sometimes, one member of a couple may feel lukewarm about a choice, but may also want to agree with their partner for the sake of pleasing them or to avoid conflict. That's an especially high risk for those of us who are givers by nature and or due to our social programming. It's damaging to a relationship for a partner to rigidly and aggressively insist on having their preference prevail. But it's also damaging for a partner to not share or appropriately advocate for their preferences. Over time, that can lead to the slighted partner feeling ignored or deemed unimportant. It's more constructive for both partners in a relationship to clearly understand their own preferences and to give their partner a hell yes indication of that preference. Then, through negotiating to a middle ground, the partners can both know that they're truly agreed as to how they want to proceed. As we've been discussing, an intimate relationship can flourish in an atmosphere in which both partners feel seen, heard, respected, and free to share their true desires with each other. Those partners can do a lot to keep the allure and interest in their relationship, rather than letting it go stale. 
Such an approach can extend the life and the quality of a relationship for as long as it's deemed to be satisfying and life-enhancing for both partners. In a traditional marriage, one mutual commitment to a shared life is made at the time of the marriage, and that commitment is assumed to be lifelong. As divorce statistics suggest, though, that sort of commitment is far from ironclad. Is there an alternative form of commitment that might be more realistic and sustainable? In ancient Celtic tradition, a couple could participate in a hand-fasting ceremony through which they publicly committed to unite their lives for a year and a day. The use of a ribbon to bind the hands of the couple together gave rise to the term tying the knot. That served as a legally recognized statement of their union throughout this trial period. At the end of the period, the couple could elect to either continue or dissolve their union. Given the inevitability of change in relationships over time, and the importance of free choice, the notion of handfasting may suggest a useful way to promote the ongoing vitality of intimate relationships. It seems like a good idea for a committed couple to set an annual date for considering a renewal of their commitment. That periodic renewal is what gives rise to the term re-upping in the title of this post. In the military, at the end of one's enlistment period, there's an option to re-enlist or re-up for another fixed period of service. One can consider doing something similar in a committed relationship. My wife and I have made this a tradition in our relationship since our marriage almost 20 years ago. It has proven to be beneficial, serving as a reminder to us that we're in our relationship by mutual free choice, and that neither of us would want to maintain that bond against our partner's choice. It helps us avoid becoming complacent. We trust in the solidity and reliability of our commitment, but without presuming on our partner's commitment. Of course, in our society, handfasting doesn't carry the legal weight or privileges of marriage. In addition, setting an annual formal check-in date is not a substitute for the sort of ongoing real-time communication that's needed in order to ensure that a relationship remains healthy. Still, it's worth considering the benefits that come from recognizing the vulnerability of long-term commitments, as well as the benefits of keeping one's finger on the pulse of a relationship over time. To learn more about Two Open Doors and to engage with our community, I'd like to invite you to visit the Two Open Doors private Facebook group, the Two Open Doors meetup group, and the Two Open Doors website and blog at twoopendoors.com. I also invite you to contact me directly by writing to me at claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, at twoopendoors.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'll use your inputs to guide my work on future blog posts and podcast episodes. Thanks for visiting Two Open Doors. Two Open Doors.